Welcome back to another episode of Bite Sized Virtue. This is episode three of our third season as we continue the inexorable march through Advent towards Christmas and then into the Christmas season beyond. And we're still talking about the virtue of spirituality, joined by my friend Paul again for this episode, and continuing to kind of poke around the edges of the virtue and dive into it a little bit more in depth through the lens of that anima technica vacua concept. It's just, you know, I've now been on two scout camps um, within the last two weeks, and the point just continuously gets hammered home for me every time I'm out on one of these things, whether it's watching cubs just be absolutely mesmerized because, hey, you know, they're city kids, and this is their first real experience with, oh my gosh, like, look at all the stars and look how brightly the constellations stand out, to just seeing a bunch of like five-year-olds throw themselves out into weather and i mean like cold weather minus 25 minus 15 fahrenheit for those of you listening on the american side just throw themselves out to it with this sort of reckless abandon and mark you know follow along a frozen creek bed and then all of a sudden realize oh hey the creek widens here and then like over there there's the rest of the creek but it's like so much further down so this big snow-covered area that we have to be in right here like this has to actually be a beaver dam. I mean, it's all under snow. You can't really tell without digging down. You don't um, necessarily want to disrupt things in that way, but just, you know, having those experiences still and being able to offer those experiences to people, um, experiences that you don't get save by disconnecting, not just from electronics, but just from, you know, the concrete jungle in and of itself and actually putting yourself out into a more isolated place where you can just explore and poke around. It's always, always compelling to see that happen. And so um, we're going to keep exploring that whole idea of the empty technical soul. So here's me and Paul. It's, right. it's funny how you, like, you know, the, the whole to know person and how, like, you know, in some ways how, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know the exact origin or whatever, but, um, you know, when you say you know somebody biblically, you know what they you know? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was but, thinking that, but that wasn't where I was going with that. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but it, but it, to me, it kind of tweaks something because there's a special, um, at least for most people, there's a special relationship between um, having sex with somebody and, like, you know, the whole intimacy thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, you're onto something there, I think, right? Because it yeah. should be, but, 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 but it seems like to me too that uh, I don't know. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to use that word necessarily, but it, it seems it to me English. that spir- spirituality is something more. I shouldn't say more because that's not necessarily the right word either. But it includes more than just loving other people or something like that. Because to me. Um, and like things like art and music, I think can be big parts of somebody's spiritual progression and spiritual makeup. Well, sure, because I mean, a lot of those things are tied to contemplation and inspiration, right? So, you know, the really profound explorations and manifestations of one's inner being. It's, 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 it's also, uh, for a lot of people, it's really deeply tied into the emotional core. And this is where I think um, spirituality 
when you separate it from any kind of concrete lived like examples or, or reality can be incredibly dangerous as i mentioned before like there's good and bad spirituality today i think a really bad manifestation of spirituality is um isis and then the like and I, I recently listened to an audiobook on basically the history of isis and something like that and like it goes into a lot of detail but like you know um relationship of ice like how isis arose from al-qaeda um but the differences between al-qaeda and isis and it, it you know made al-qaeda almost as a sympathetic kind of person compared to isis not person but movement compared to isis um in a way, I, I I I never I never thought I would have that kind of feeling. So I mean, um, well, and you know, but, I mean, but there's, I mean, oh, sorry, go on. So yeah, but and the bad spirituality, I think that it 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 fun when when you have a bad spirituality or bad bad foundation of spirituality, it fundamentally undermines every other action you take. And that's, I think, a, a core problem of modernism, as you mentioned before, or even I would say liberalism in general, is that it doesn't really replace an old, like the old vacuum of a spirituality with anything that's particularly uplifting or healthy, which is why you see the, um, the, uh, Failures of liberalism in the 20th century, um, World War One, World War Two, um, and barely fighting against, barely winning against communism, um, is because there's a, a spiritual deficit within liberalism that cannot be effectively filled up by liberalism. What you're going to get with it is instead of liberalism, you're going to get progressivism. Which becomes a totalitarian, um, civic totalitarian, where you're seeing that, you know, you're, you're seeing it in the, um, the things like Black Lives Matters, which I think that it's just a, another symptom of a unhealthy spirituality where it focuses on racial differences or, or the black lived experience or whatever, which could be, can be pretty horrific and stuff like that and even even today um and it's not we're replacing it with anything healthy but it's instead of it's it's creating a more disharmony and discord um because it focuses on um on basically resentment and hatred for the uh, uh, the other in this case yeah and i mean which is outside can... of itself yeah and no now, we could actually probably even take that a couple steps back. We'd probably even go a little bit higher level on that because I think you've hit on a number of important points there. And I just want to start by looking at that whole concept of progressivism and in particular, just the whole idea of progress. Now, progress in and of itself isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, we want there. It's a question of what are we progressing toward, right? Like, I mean me coming at it from the Catholic understanding, you know, I love progress because at the end of what I'm progressing toward and what I hope others are progressing toward as well is God, is salvation, is heaven, right? God is the ultimate telos of all things, 
of everything. And if there's a problem with, you know, progressivism as a political movement or as a socio-political movement, it's that it doesn't have a telos, right? It has this idea, this idol of progress, but it's not progressing toward anything, right? It's an, there's an aimlessness to it. And instead of telos, it's just substituted whatever the latest political trend might happen to be. So fundamentally, it's, it's not even that it's unmoored, it's that it's undirected. It's just going. And we're back to that anima technica vacua again, right? Yeah. It's, there's, there's action, there's plenty of action, and there's even thought, but they're kind of just getting all jumbled up and confused, and they're not ordered toward anything, right? Whereas, you know, you can go back to like a Mother Teresa. Well, what is everything Mother Teresa did ordered toward? Well, primarily God. And in terms of, you know, in, in more practical terms, just love, right? She did nothing more than just find the most destitute, rejected people, perhaps on earth, and loved them. That was all she did. And amazing things came from it. Well, what's funny is that I would disagree with you in that saying that the progressives don't have a telos. Whatever. I, I do think they have a telos. It's just that it's a really uncomfortable telos for them to really contemplate because it is basically, as Carl Schmidt wrote in his really fantastic book, a um, short book called Political Theology, because he, he was one of the greatest um, he was one of the greatest critics of democratic theory or de democracy in the 20th century. And he also was a, you know, he was kind of a Nazi too. But um, what, what he wrote is, is basically like, you know, we've replaced, politics has become a theology now. For modern men, um, and even postmodern, is politics has replaced theology as sort of like the prime language of being and I like you know we're kind of seeing that even in evidence is is, is um, the Trumpism and something like that in Trump where uh, you know whether this is the most divided America's ever been and it's not obviously because they had a civil war um, but it's a very divided nation right now and um, it's being expressed politically, and a lot of um. Fortunately, language... it's only being expressed politically. Well, yeah. well, I mean, but a lot of the language of morality and stuff like that is being politicized as well. It is, and and so uh, like you see, like you know, um, and this is where uh, um, there is a strong stream. Thinkers who very, very strongly criticize even think things like using the, the language of values. Um, this is going to George Grant, to Ian Benson. Uh, I think uh, Robert George is probably um, part of the, this as well. But there's a um, where language, the language of values obscures any kind of objective objectivity in. Um, uh, in behavior and morality. All right, I'm going to cut it off there for now. Uh, we'll be back again next week with some additional commentary. 
thank you again for listening. Hope you have enjoyed this episode of Bite Size Virtue. We'll be back again next week with another reflection. And until then, until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.